A young bride was preparing for her wedding, and she was determined that nothing, she was not going to let anything ruin the excitement of the day, not even her parents' recent messy divorce. She and her mother went shopping to find her mother the perfect dress to wear for the wedding. They found it. It was absolutely beautiful. And she said, Mom, you are going to be the best-dressed, prettiest bride's mother ever. A week later, the young bride was horrified to find out that her dad's young new wife had bought the same dress. Now, we guys don't understand that. We don't understand that at all. But that's a big deal to women. Men wear gray, we wear black, we wear blue. That's about it. So she went to her dad's new wife and she said, would you consider getting a different dress? I most certainly will not. I look like a million bucks in that dress and I plan to wear it. Well, she told her mom and her mom said, honey, don't worry about it. It's your day, it's not my day and I'll get a different dress. They went shopping and they found another beautiful dress and they were eating lunch and she said, Mom, I guess you will return the first dress because you don't have an occasion to wear it. And her mother smiled and said, Of course I have an occasion to wear it. I plan to wear it to the rehearsal dinner the night before the wedding. enjoy those kind of stories they're called poetic justice (laughs) remember in literature they said that poetic justice is a literary device where virtue is ultimately rewarded and wrong is punished it's when someone who has been treated unfairly turns the tables on the one who hurt them but then along comes Barbara Brown Taylor and she writes look at the screen Then along comes this story of instant forgiveness with no strings attached, and we cannot miss the point that the extravagant love of God both fulfills and violates our sense of what is right. Now, that's the problem Jesus was addressing in the greatest story ever told. Jesus got a lot of criticism because he hung out with bad people. And because of that, he told this story. And it begins in Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus tells three wonderful stories to show them how God feels about his lost children and to show us how God feels about his lost children. God wants good people to know that he does not view bad people as worthless. The greatest story ever told was told for the benefit of those of us who think we are good. Now let's revisit the story. The prodigal, the younger son, he comes home from the far country. 
And the father ran, runs to greet him, and he yells to the servants, kill the fatted calf, let's invite the neighbors, it's party time, y'all come. And the father was restoring that boy to the family and was easing him back into the community. Let's pick it up in chapter 15, verse 25 through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working, and when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your younger brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years... I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, remember that, squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and he is found. Now the older brother was willing to disgrace his dad in front of the entire community because he was offended at the grace the father showed his younger brother. What is it with older brothers? How many of you have had an older brother? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's talk about the older brother syndrome. Is it possible for us to have the older brother syndrome? Yes, it is. As we work our way through this story, I want you to remember, the more that we learn about the older brother, the more we're going to see ourselves. And it's not a pretty picture. Let's begin with this. We have the older brother syndrome when we don't care about the lost. We have the older brother syndrome when we don't care about the lost. Now, why was this older brother so angry? Like the Pharisees that Jesus was telling this story to, this older brother and the Pharisees, they didn't care about the lost they didn't care about the law. That brother could have stayed in the far country forever as far as the older brother was concerned. Now, it's very easy for us to condemn the older brother as a self-righteous, holier-than-thou snob. But before you do, before you do, remember this. Look at the screen. I want, I want, I want to go through this twice. This is very important. This is a principle we need to learn. Self-righteousness can only grow in the soil of a community that values righteousness. Now, now remember that. Let me go through it again. Self-righteousness can only grow in the soil of a community that values righteousness. If people don't care about righteousness or morality or a relationship with God, they can't be self-righteous. It is only when we value self-righteousness a righteous, rather, that self-righteousness raises its ugly head. And you see, it, it, it's a short step from moral decline to claiming moral superiority. 
Now, folks, these critics didn't criticize Jesus. These Pharisees didn't criticize Jesus because they were bad. They criticized him because they were good. Don't forget that. And good people want to see bad people judged. Let's just admit it. Let's just admit it. I will admit to you. I'll be transparent with you. When bad people hurt their family, when little children are abused by adults who are their spiritual leaders, are their parents, are their caregivers, are their relatives, I would admit, I want to see them judged. Sick them, God. Just sick them. Just sick them. Get them. Now, be honest. Sometimes we would rather see bad people judged more than saved. Just admit it. Just admit. (laughs) We would rather see a terrorist hung and quartered rather than saved. Just admit it. But we have to remember something. The older brother was good. Don't forget that. If he was not good, there wouldn't have been a home or a farm or maybe even a father for the older brother, for the younger brother to come back to. While the baby brother was off enjoying his partying in the far country, who was doing the planting and the plowing and the harvesting and taking care of the old father? The older son's actions were totally consistent with his religious beliefs. He believed that good people are valuable and bad people have no value. Why should we care about bad people? There's nothing valuable about them. And you see, that's the question that Jesus was asking uh, or or addressing to the Pharisees. The question the Pharisees were asking was, why in the world should we be concerned about bad people? And Jesus told these three stories. And boy, in these three stories, (laughs) did Jesus ever turn righteousness on its head. He took the basket of religious belief in that day and just turned it over on their head. He told that crowd, he said, you see good and valuable. You see the good, they're valuable. You see the bad and they're useless to you. And I say to you, all bad people are valuable. <gasps> you could have heard the Pharisees. You, 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 you see, he just turned the religious thinking up on his head. And Jesus was saying to them, he is saying to us, you have no idea the value God puts on the people that you want to throw away. Look at our culture. The throwaway people. We just want to throw them away. We have no idea the value that God puts on those people. Now, that older brother didn't want the younger brother back because he did not think he was worth it. Fred Craddock, the great preacher, in his commentary in Luke, he says this. Jesus invites his critics to join him and all of heaven in celebrating of finding the lost. The joy, in part for the returned son, is the heart of the gospel. Finding and restoring the lost gives pleasure to God as well as to all who are about God's business. And we have the older brother syndrome when we do not care about the lost. Oh, we use the word unchurched today. 
The parable calls them lost. Can I challenge you, First Church, to care about the lost? What do you think we're here for? You think we're just here to gather in these comfortable buildings and enjoy each other's company and drink coffee and hear good music and hear good preaching and just enjoy each other and can't wait till we get back? No. Why was First Church founded? First Church was founded to seek and to save the lost. Remember, I told you, 68% of Boone County does not go to anybody's church. 80%, 86% of people in Kenton County does not go to anybody's church. Why do you think that we are here? And I challenge you, please care about a lost neighbor, a lost child, a lost spouse, a lost worker, a lost golf buddy. Lord knows a lot of them are lost. A lost in-law, whoo! But you say, Eldie, how do we go about it? It's, it's not hard. Build a relationship with the unchurched. I hope that you have some unchurched friends, some lost friends. I hope you have, <laughs> I said this at first service and I thought I was going to get smacked. Uh, <laughs> I hope you have some friends who are absolute heathens. I do. So that you can build a relationship with them and then invite them to come to First Church. 90% of you are here this morning because someone built a relationship with you and invited you to this place and now you're not lost, you are found. Well, there's another way that we, we have the older brother syndrome and this, this, this gets to us a lot. When we resent the cost of the party... We have the older brother syndrome when we resent the cost of party. Now think about it. Dad is throwing this expensive party. Who's paying for it? Remember, everything the family owns now belongs to the older brother. And the older brother standing out there in the dark saying, it wasn't his to kill. Barbara Brown Taylor says, the younger brother came home to live off his brother's inheritance having spent his own in loose living, and no sooner did the father see him coming down the road than the elder brother's fatted calf was killed and the celebration was on. Forgiveness always comes at a cost, always comes at a sacrifice. How often have we walked in the elder brother's shoes? We have been hurt by someone who is close to us, a sibling, a family member, a close friend, we just turn our backs on them, unable to forgive. It's not fair. It's just not fair. And the older brother looks at how the father is treating his younger brother who has caused so much damage in this family, so much heartache in this family, and he says, it's not fair the way dad's treating him. It's just not fair. This forgiveness stuff is just not fair. Now, we're told to forgive anyway because God forgives. And oftentimes we feel like we're called on just to suck it up and not be concerned with ourselves and put our needs aside and forgive and forget. Well, no, no. Whoever put the words forgive and forget together did a disservice both to giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. Big disservice. Philip Yancey in his great book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says, 
Behind every act of forgiveness is a wound of betrayal, and the pain of being betrayed does not fade easily. Hmm. And the wound is so much deeper when it comes from someone that we love. See, folks, forgiveness is not so much about forgetting. Forgiveness is about releasing the wrong that person has done to us, letting the resentment go. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't trip over what's behind you? (laughs) Your mama may have told you that. The older brother ends up tripping over what was behind him, over the past, unable to forgive his younger brother, and he stayed out in the dark and refused to join the party. See, we have the older brother syndrome when we resent the cost of the party because forgiveness, forgiveness comes at a great price sometimes. All right, we have the older brother syndrome when we we don't care about the loss. We don't, we don't go out of our way to build a relationship with a lost friend or lost neighbor. We just don't do it. We don't care about them. And then we resent the cause of the party. <laughs> I'm not going to forgive that person. <laughs> That's not fair. It's just not fair. And then number three, I think this is the heart, the heart and soul of the parable. When we trust in our own goodness instead of God's grace. We have the older brother syndrome when we trust in our own goodness instead of God's grace. Now, you've got to understand, the older boy was a good boy. He probably was a deacon down at the local church, member of the Rotary Club, member of the Future Farmers of America. He was the kind of boy that you wish your daughter would bring home. Not the younger boy. You wouldn't want her to bring home the younger son. No, the older boy. But the older boy's goodness destroyed a relationship with his father more than the younger brother's badness. And you say, what? The younger son's badness did not destroy a relationship with his father. The older son's goodness destroyed his relationship with his father. I have been slaving for you many years. I've never disobeyed an order of yours, and you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. That older son is estranged from his father not because of his badness, but because of his goodness. And Jesus says, do you see how sad this is, huh? Here is a father who is full of grace, and you're willing to to disgrace him and trust more in your own goodness than you do the father's grace. Now, folks, let's be honest. Most of us have been older brothers. Some of us still are. I was for years and years. I lived trusting my own goodness instead of God's grace. I did it right. I 
dotted all the I's. I crossed all the T's. I did everything they told me to do. I never sashed my grandmother. I'd have got killed if I did. But, but I, I lived like the older brother way into my adulthood until I learned to trust in God's grace, not my goodness. Because you see what happens when you trust in your goodness. It makes you judgmental. Makes you judgmental. Well, they don't measure up to the standard. That, that, That older brother said, well, here's the standard, and my younger brother did not measure up to it. If there is one thing that society out there criticizes the church for more than anything is that we're judgmental. We have this standard. You've got to live up to my standard. But it also, if you trust in your own goodness, I tell you what it does, makes you angry. Makes you angry. Tim Keller has written a marvelous little book about this parable. It's called The Prodigal God. He said, we see the elder brother became angry. All of his words are dripping with resentment. The first sign you have an elder brother's spirit is that when your life doesn't go as you want and you aren't just sorrowful but deeply angry and bitter, elder brothers believe that if they live a good life, they should get a good life, that God owes them a smooth road if they try very hard to live up to the standards. Now, externally, on the outside... A lot of us look really good this morning. (laughs) Really good on the outside. But internally, like this elder brother, we are angry. Angry at our parents. Angry at our spouse. Angry at the church. Angry at God. Angry at the boss. Angry at the company. Angry at our neighbor. Angry at the government. Anger, anger, anger. God, I deserve a better life than this because I've been good. I can't tell you down through the years how many people have said that to me. LD, I do not deserve this because I've been good. Trusting in your own goodness just makes you angry. But it also makes you anxious. If you're living your life on achievement so that you can be accepted, then it's going to depend on performance. And you'll never, be, you'll never be content. And that's exactly where the older brother was. He thought, if I can achieve, if I can perform, then my father will love me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be so good. And then the older brother is just so upset because he didn't get a party. What is it with older brothers? His dad said, son, 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 everything I have is yours. Why haven't you given yourself a party? You know why the older brother never threw himself a party? He didn't think he deserved it. He's not sure he's earned a party. He's not sure where he stands with the father. Folks, when you trust in your own goodness, you never know where you stand with the Father. If you're here this morning trusting your own goodness, you don't know where you stand 
with the Father because you're trusting in your goodness rather than the Father's grace. I want you to look at the screen. This guy is Noble Doss. Noble Doss. Noble Doss played football for the University of Texas, and he was one of the greatest players from the University of Texas. He went on to play professional football. He was inducted into the high school football hall of fame of Texas. He was inducted into the University of Texas football hall of fame. Noble Doss was a great football player, but a better man. He served in World War II in the Navy. He was married to the same woman for 60 years. He came home from World War II and he built a very successful business. And most people remember Noble Doss for that. But that's not what Noble Doss remembers about himself. In 1941, Texas was number one in the country. Texas was playing Baylor to go to the Rose Bowl to play for the national championship. Texas was ahead seven to nothing. It was late in the game. The quarterback throws a beautiful pass to Noble Doss. He is wide open. The only thing between him and the goal line is 20 yards of grass and the, and the, 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 the ball was just perfectly in his hands. The pass was just perfect and he dropped the ball. Baylor went on to win. Texas lost their number one ranking and a chance for the Rose Bowl to play for their national championship. Noble Doss said, from that time on until he died, I remember that play every day for the rest of my life. Fifty years later, he met Mac Brown, who was the new head football coach for the University of Texas. Guess what Noble Doss told Mac Brown about? The day that he dropped the ball and he began to cry. You see, the sadness, that kind of sadness is the result of trusting in your own goodness. We will ever be haunted by the memory of the times that we have dropped the ball. I'm looking into the faces of two rooms of people who have dropped the ball, good people who have dropped the ball. But when you drop the ball, Don't trust in your own goodness. Come home to the Father's grace. Come home to the Father's forgiveness. Come home to the Father's love. All right. Let's do a little review. I like to do reviews. It gives you time to relax and catch your breath and think, Lord, how long is this going to be? Uh, (laughs) Look at the screen. We, we have the elder brother syndrome when we don't care about the lost. I, I'm just not going to go out of my way to build a relationship with that person so that I can lead, so that they can come to Jesus. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care. When we resent the cost of the party, I, I don't care. I'm not forgiving. I, I was hurt. I'm not going to forgive. And then I think the heart of the story is when you trust in your own goodness rather than the Father's grace. That's the heart of the story. But we have one more. We have the elder brother syndrome when we accept only the good and the righteous. Hmm. 
had a woman talk to me after church today saying, boy, LD, that point helped me better than anything. I've been dealing with a woman at work and my goodness kept me away from her. Hmm. And we have the elder brother syndrome when we accept only the good and the righteous. You know, the younger brother sinned against his father. I like the way the old King James Version has it. The old King James says, and took his journey into the far country and there wasted his sustenance on riotous living. Riotous living. You know, that phrase has always stood out to me because as a young boy growing up, I had some idea of what riotous living was. And, and as a young man, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I often thought, I wonder what it would be like to go into the far country and live in riotous living. Woo! Well, I had an uncle who left the mountains and went into the far country and lived in riotous living. He ended up in prison, and uh, that sort of put a blanket, wet blanket on for the rest of us, you know. But riotous living. <laughs> and now that my age... <laughs> I'm in the bed at night before righteous living even starts. <laughs> but this, I am convinced of this. This older brother was jealous of his younger brother because his younger brother committed sins that he wanted to commit himself. Remember, he's the one who said, yeah, you wasted, you're living on prostitutes. He's the one that brought, only brought that up. See, his self-righteous anger and bitterness and resentment caused him to be separated from his father. What is it with older brothers? Never left his father's house but he was just as lost as the younger brother in the far country. Now, there are many of us in this room, we don't go off to the far country. We stay home. But a lot of times our lives are characterized by being judgmental and condemnation and anger and resentment and bitter and jealousy. Lost at home just as much as the older, younger brother was lost in the far country. See, the goodness standard determines who is deserving, but the grace standard declares all of us are undeserving of the Father's love. Now, if you have the older brother syndrome, you you think you're good. But if you will look at this story through the eyes of the younger brother, you know that you are in desperate need of the Father's grace. Let me do this one last thought. I'm glad Jesus is my older brother. Amen. I don't need an older brother like the one in Jesus' story. I need an older brother who will forgive me. Forgive me not only once for dropping the ball, but every time I drop the ball. I need an older brother who will get me home and rejoices when I get home. And he is the one who on behalf of the Father makes sure that all receive a place at the table, his table. He's the one who invites us to join in the celebration banquet, a banquet that celebrates our repentance. And he is the one who welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Forgiveness is free, but it cost our older brother his life on a tree. And he was willing to pay the cost so that we could come home and experience the Father's grace. Our older brother paid the price, and there's going to be a grand homecoming. There's going to be a party of all parties. Woo! I tell you, Joyce and I just spent seven days by the sea. I would recommend it to anybody. The resort that we stayed in, on Friday night, they had this famous band come in. Out on the patio, I bet you they told me the next morning, there were over a thousand people partying. I'd, I'd not been to a party like that. I know Joyce had never been to a party like that. And you talk about getting down. The band was playing queen music. I didn't know one they were playing. They were getting down. I mean, they were gyrating. They were, they were partying. Whoa! And it went on and on and on and on and on and on. Our room was right above the bandstand. <laughs> and I would stand out on our, our balcony and look at all of those thousand plus people just getting it on. And I thought, you folks have no idea what a party's like. You have no idea how to party. Because one day we're going to a party. <laughs> The greatest party of all, it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And every tongue and tribe and nation is going to be there. And Jesus is going to be at the head of the table. And we're going to party. And everybody's invited. It's the greatest story ever told. And you're invited. Don't be an older brother and miss the party. Don't be an older brother and miss the party.